You're listening to HIV Frontlines, U.S. Edition, the body's podcast series focusing on frontline workers in the HIV epidemic in the United States. For more information on this podcast, including a full transcript, please visit us on the web. This is Bonnie Goldman, Editorial Director of The Body. Welcome to HIV Frontlines. I'm here today with Dr. Tony Miles, a psychologist and longtime HIV educator. Since 2000, Dr. Miles has been compiling an extraordinary digital database of first-person stories of people living with HIV. The project is called The Positive Project, and Dr. Miles and his co-founder, Don Shearer, have videotaped more than 100 HIV-positive people from all walks of life. In their interviews, they cover a wide range of topics, including such subjects as stigma, coping with an HIV diagnosis, taking medications, and dating. These clips have been used throughout the United States as invaluable resources for HIV education and awareness. Dr. Miles is here today to talk about this amazing project. Welcome, Dr. Miles. Thank you very much. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background in HIV-AIDS. Well, let's see. I uh, was living in San Francisco in the the 80s and 90s, and so um, I was involved in HIV uh, in lots of different ways, starting as a a volunteer for an AIDS service organization in San Francisco in the mid-80s, really, and I've been involved in one form or another ever since, from volunteering then into professional capacity. I went into mental health and became a psychologist, really, because of my interest in mental health and HIV specifically. So I've been involved ever since in lots of different capacities. So when did you decide that you'd like to do first-person videos? Uh, you know, it, it actually, the very first time was in graduate school. I had a, an assignment to do something for a class related to HIV and AIDS, and as I looked up information to educate my class, it just felt really boring to me, honestly. And I thought this is going to be so limited in the impact it could have. And so I had a good friend uh, named James who was living with HIV. And I tried so hard to get him to come to my class because I knew the class would really be engaged. And he was poised to educate them in ways that I couldn't. And he wouldn't come. He was too nervous. So I was so frustrated by that. And I didn't want to miss the opportunity. Uh, so he agreed to let me film him. So I asked him a series of questions. I filmed him. And then I took it into my class. And it was really so successful that um, that has stayed with me ever since. How many videos do you have now? And when, when did you start? What's the history of the actual collection of the Positive Project? Well, that uh, the interview as I was referring to just a moment ago in the, the one I had done in class kind of planted a seed early for me about the impact and the value of first-person stories via, via video. And things have developed so much in the world of video with digital technology. This is where it all kind of came together for me and one particular colleague. We started thinking about the kinds of things that we were hearing in therapy. We're both mental health professionals, and so we were hearing behind closed doors not just the struggles that people were having living and coping with HIV, but we were also hearing lots of wisdom, lots of knowledge, and lots of success stories about how people were just figuring out all kinds of things about it, like how to adhere to medications, how to date, how to disclose status to family and friends, how to cope, all kinds of things. And it felt really frustrating to us that we didn't really have a forum to be sharing that information because as therapists, we were obligated to keep private what we were hearing. So that's what we did. So we started the Positive Project and the purpose of the Positive Project was really 180 degrees from that. The intention was not to keep behind closed doors what we were hearing, but that was to, to the greatest degree 
possible share with the world the kinds of things we were hearing. So we took off our therapist hat, we put on our positive project hats, and started looking for volunteers who were HIV positive and out about their status and wanting to help others, and we started filming. Now we have 140 interviews filmed. We ask each person roughly 50 to 60 questions, depending on their situation, and then develop video clips of people responding to very specific topics. So we're still in the process of editing what we have so far, but once it's edited, we have over 5,000 video clips from all different kinds of people talking about all different kinds of things. Who was your partner in doing this? Uh, she's still my partner. Her name is Dawn Shearer. She's a mental health professional and was the first person I really uh, sat down with and said, I have what I think is a really good idea. It makes a lot of sense to me, and, I, and I'm not sure what's the first step. So honestly, I, I contracted with her initially to help me move this project forward. And then shortly into it, there came a point when she said, I don't want to contract to work for you in this project. I want to do it with you. There's nothing more important that I could imagine doing with my time. So we quickly reconfigured as partners in this endeavor and have been so since the very beginning. And how did you recruit your first interviews? For the very first interview, we approached people that we know in the community, in our local community here, who have we had seen do public speaking about living with HIV. So we recruited four people locally to do our pilot interviews, and we learned so much from those. And what we learned really was that they needed to be really interactive and much more directed. We needed to ask people very specific questions about specific topics because that would allow us greater use of the interview afterwards. Longer interviews that were more kind of telling somebody's life story from end to end is really interesting, but there aren't so many uses for it unless it's more like a long documentary. Right. So, and did you said that you were listening to your patients' stories, and you you thought they were so valuable? Did you approach any patients? No, I had to be really careful about that actually because of the ethics of my profession. That would really be a dual relationship or a conflict of interest. I wouldn't approach one of my patients directly and say, here's this project. I think it's a really great idea and I hope you do it because I know what you have to say rocks. You know, I may be <laughs> thinking that kind of inside of my head, but it would be it would be inappropriate of me perhaps to pressure them or to have them somehow perceive that if they p participated in this project, they might do it to please and me. So it's been interesting. I've had to, bit of, had to get a bit of consultation to, uh, to be really ethical about how I proceed because the two hats I wear are very different hats. I, I definitely make the, um, the opportunity known, but in a very sort of neutral and general way. And if somebody is interested and they then want to pursue that, I absolutely leave that to them. And if they want to participate in a full scale, then I'll actually let my colleague do the interview. I wouldn't do the interview myself with, with somebody that I have seen for individual psychotherapy. So are you continually adding to your collection? You bet. We add any time we get the opportunity. Our goal is often people ask us, you know, well, how many stories, how many interviews are you trying to collect? And we don't have a, a set number at which point we would want to stop because I think everybody's story is individual. Everyone's unique. Everyone has something to contribute. So our goal is as long as there are people who want to participate, that we can find a way to accommodate that. 
so we've collected interviews in lots of different settings kind of across the country, different venues at conferences. We've gone to a, a number of different gatherings, sort of of different compositions, if you will, and gotten interviews in all kinds of ways. Uh, we've got we've had some as recently as last month. I collected one from a, a gentleman here in our local community who saw us on the Internet, thought that he'd thought about something like this for years and years and years. And when he called, he said, I feel like my time has come. My time has come that I can speak openly about this, and I'm really excited. And it was a great experience for him, and he gave us a great contribution. I see. Is there any kind of person that you're missing for your collection? Like, are you finding lots of gay men, but you can't find straight women, or you or you can't find straight men, or you can't find Native Americans? I mean, is it harder finding one type of person? You know, it, that's a really great question, and um, we've had good fortune in terms of the opportunities we've had to go to different conferences. And you know, often conferences have a some conferences have a very specific focus on certain populations, and so we've actually had a really wide representation. I think what we have had the most difficulty finding in terms of representation so far are Latino participants and particularly Latino women. Our goal and our commitment is to have the database be as diverse uh, and large as possible because like any database, the, for any purpose, the larger it is and the more diverse it is, the more robust it, it is and the more applications it has. And this is no exception. So um, that's definitely one population we're hopeful to uh, to bring into the, the collection with everybody else. So if someone listening or reading this would like to be added, how would they contact you? Well, they can visit the website, which is uh, www.thepositiveproject.org. And on the website now, what you can find is a wide range of collections of what we already have. People can search through the collection that's posted online and watch video clips at no charge. You can look through for different topics. Let's say somebody has an interest in learning out how to cope with a new diagnosis. You could go to the website. You could search through the video clips and find people answering that question. We ask the question, what would you say to somebody who's positive who is trying to figure out how to cope with this? What would you say to them? So you can go to the site and find those video clips. Or you can go and you can search by specific demographics. Maybe for whatever reason you want to hear the clips of women. Easy to sort through by that. If somebody uh, go, somebody wants to participate and give their story, I would suggest that they go to the site, look, look there, and see if it feels like a good fit. Because what needs to be the case is somebody needs to be out about their status and have a comfort level of knowing that we can't predict in advance who will see it. Truly, it could be anyone in the world could see it now that things are posted on the Internet. We had a one participant who really wanted to give her story, and she said, you know, I'm out to everybody in my family. I'm out to all of my friends, but I have one aunt in Virginia, and I'm not out to her, and I don't want to be out there, and I don't want her to know it. So we we did not – we discouraged her from participating because we could not ensure that by some chance her aunt may not see this. So it has to be for people who are out at that level. And if it feels like a good fit and they want to participate, they will find ways to contact us on the website. What we're, what we're working towards is we've had so many people who have been interested in participating. What we'll probably do is go to different parts of the country and organize an event. You know, for, go for a couple of days, collect as many interviews as is possible, and have local people in those communities help us coordinate it. And how are these videos used besides, you know, individuals going to the website and downloading specific ones? Are they used in any other way? 
Well, they've been used in lots of ways. That's what's really exciting for us. And having built a collection of video clips, to have it in a database format, you can kind of slice it and dice it in all kinds of ways to meet all kinds of end-user needs, both for prevention and both for care. So we've been approached by lots of people who some, and now the the ability to get the video clips offline is a newer capacity for us. That's really exciting. That just happened at the beginning of this year, and that throws the doors open in a way that is bigger than had been the case before that. Prior to that, we had been formatting CD-ROMs and DVDs sort of by request, and they've been used in lots of different settings by ASOs and CBOs and medical care providers have used them, therapists have used them, uh, kind of to meet their own needs because they have, they want them for different purposes. Like some therapists have wanted to use them to launch conversations and support groups that they run. Some providers have shown them because they've wanted to encourage their patients to adhere to their medications. Other people have shown them to people who they hope will think about getting tested. So really interesting ways. How is this funded? Honestly, the hardest thing has been funding. We've uh, never been fully funded. We worked uh, the entirety of last year in 07 was really volunteer time for myself and my colleague. Uh, we're committed to it and we'll see it through. But we still are hungry for finding the right partners who can help underwrite the cost of bringing this into the full fruition that we're getting so close to. We've had some funding from the pharmaceuticals, very little really. We've had some private foundation funding, and we've had very generous funding really from individuals in our local communities and our kind of networks of individuals around the country who feel strongly about what we're doing. That's been the funding thus far. So what's the best thing that has happened as a result of the project? Since 2000, I guess. Mm. It's been eight years that you've been working on this. You know, the, the best thing, I think, is not surprising. It's what, we've, it's what we thought would happen, and that is to see the very real impact on a, on a personal way. Let me just think of two examples to give you. One is both for people who give their story and for people who hear it. We interviewed a man a year ago last summer, and he really uh, gave a great interview. He was really nervous. Uh, he had a lot to say. He felt very strongly. It was a pivotal moment for him to go kind of public at this level. He gave his interview, and what we always do after the interviews is we send an interviewee uh, a DVD copy of everything that we just filmed, just for their own reference and really as a thank you. So we sent him his DVD. We didn't really hear from him and didn't particularly expect to. And then almost a year later this last summer, I got a really amazing letter, and he said that in 20-plus years of living with HIV, that participating in the Positive Project had been the singular most empowering and positive experience that he had had. He said to be asked so many questions with such sincerity and such intention in what he had to say, he said he felt so respected and valued that he felt that he had something really valuable to contribute back from the experience that he has had and that he had not experienced that before. So he said he came out of it with a sense of personal worth that he wasn't expecting. And he just was following up with a letter to thank us. Wow. I thought, wow, that's really, that's just as good as it gets. And then another, so there's lots and lots of examples like that, I think, of people who are personally impacted, both by participating and then people who see the materials are also impacted. There was one man who 
watched some video clips. I have to t- can I tell you two sure. quickly? Sure. Please. <laughs> two, uh one was uh a while back a gentleman was watching some video clips and he said, "Oh my goodness." He said, "You know, I this was not a participant. This was a person viewing some video clips from some others who had told their stories." And he said, "Oh my goodness." He said, "I participate in the local research trials, I go on speakers bureaus. He said, and I do things like that. He said, but I'm looking at all of these video clips of these people. He said, and I, and I don't know these people. He said, and it makes me real, it has made me realize that I think that I know everybody who's living with HIV. He said, and I realize now I don't. He said, so even after all these years, and for him, I think he'd been positive maybe 12 years or so. He said, I realize now, even now, when I go to the grocery store, I'm still thinking I'm the only person who's positive. Or if I'm in the post office standing in line or at the bank standing in line, I'm thinking I'm the only person who's positive. He said, and now, as I look at all these faces of people talking, I'm thinking, I'm not the only person who's positive. Like, what? how is it that I have so comfortably somehow inside of myself accepted that I am? when clearly I am not. So he said, now I think, he said, I think when I go to the grocery store and the bank and the post office, he said, I think I'm going to have a different experience. Wow, that's great. That's really great. So so there are uh, outcomes that kind of qualitatively just feel like, you know, inside of us, we go, right, that's great, but we couldn't have predicted an impact quite like that. The other one I'll say is was really very recently, was just last week I met, um, now this is where I had to be kind of careful with wearing two hats, one as the Positive Project and one as a psychologist and a psychotherapist, but I was working with a patient who was diagnosed about 16 months ago and has been since that time very, very, very anxious and, and frightened. And I just met this man who was really terrified of lots of smaller physical things that he would discover about himself and then be really frightened that this was sort of the beginning of something big and perhaps the beginning of the end of his life. And I asked him if he knew anyone else who was positive and he said he knows one person and that he had not disclosed, that that was the only person he had disclosed his status to. And so as I was talking with this man who has really been suffering, I said, you know, let's keep talking, and I just want to show you something. And I went to the website, thepositiveproject.org, and I pulled it up, and I didn't even play a video clip. I just showed him the still pictures of the, if you go to the site, what you see are, you know, like icon uh, still images of people, and then you click on that to watch their video. So if you go to the site, you just see still pictures. And I said, you know, and I showed him, like scrolled through a couple of pages showing him lots of um, pictures of people. And he said, he said, oh, my goodness. He said, oh. Who are these people? And I told them just a little bit. I said, these are people who are positive, who participate in this project, knowing that anybody in the world could see it. Because what they all have in common is that however they have done it, they have just figured out how to do it. You know, they have just figured out how to make sense of all this and how to keep getting through it. And some of them how to live in a way that they're actually really pretty happy about. And he was so interested. He started asking me questions like, well, how, who is, where does he live? And how long has he been positive? And where does she live? And how long has she been positive? So I was, I was you know, answering those and trying to remember to the best of my ability because there's lots of people there. And he, and he just, right in front of my eyes, he calmed down. I mean, I saw his anxiety really dissipate. And he said, you know what? He said, I think 
since the day I was diagnosed. He said, I've been thinking that I'm the only one. And I know that I'm not. He said, but it's been feeling like that. He said, I'm not the only one. He said, I think what's been going on, this has just been really hard for me to deal with and I haven't known how to deal with it. So all these things that happen with my body, I get all so frightened about because I just, I'm anxious and I don't know what else to do with it. Wow. Wow. That's great. That's great. And I guess that, that speaks to the fact that HIV just is not in on TV. It's not in the newspaper. It's just nowhere out there, you know? And so you, if you are diagnosed with HIV, you're living a long time, you just feel completely isolated you think i don't see it on tv i don't see it in the newspaper i don't see it in magazines i don't you know and nobody talks about it that's right so to see this kind of resource it just validates you know what you're going through and that there's just this huge community out there it's just it's not visible it's this underground community almost and you have to find it and then it'll help you feel better Right. There is an illusion that it's done and that it's gone, and there is an illusion that um, that there aren't people living with us and around us and close to us all the time who are living with this every day. I mean, it, it really is an illusion. Right. But yeah, it, it actually, even though I think people are aware that there are at least a million people living with HIV in the country and at least 300,000 people who are in treatment, who are getting HIV treatment, um, they, it's just those numbers just seem like not individuals. Um, and this kind of individualizes the pandemic and says, look, here are some faces and you're right. not alone. And it's amazing because, you know, we have so many things on our site that says you are not alone because <laughs> it's like the big message. And yet those are just words. Right, right. And people often, my experience has been is that, and it just amazes me, but it's fairly consistent when I have the opportunity to share some video clips with people. Often people will say, oh my goodness, I would never have guessed that any of those people were positive. They all look, you know, they all look healthy. Right. Yeah. Where they look normal. They think it's like there's a particular look or something and that they fit that look somehow. But, you know, there is, there's just no look. There's no, you know, it's just a human disease. And so people look like humans. And you never know how it is that certain interviewees really connect with and appeal to certain viewers. You just never know. I showed some video clips to a graduate psychology class and was showing them some clips about prevention. One of the questions we ask is, what would you, to the interviewees, the participants, we ask them, great prevention question, of course, we say to them, what would you say to other people who are taking risks? You know, what would you say to them? I mean, I love to show their answers because their answers are really interesting and, and they mean it. I mean, they're compelling. They don't want other people to be taking risks, people who are negative. So they have lots of things that they say about it. So I was showing these to this class and then asking for some feedback after the class. And one woman said, you know, I was taking everything in. She said, and then this one interviewee, her name is uh, Shannon. Shannon started talking and she said, I just cannot believe how impacted I am. I said, well, what is it that impacted you about her? And she said, she looks just like my sister. And I thought, oh my God, my sister could have HIV. Like any of us could have HIV. What made me think this couldn't happen to us? Of course it could. You know, we have Magic Johnson and then who else? You know, he's like what? the only person that everybody knows is positive. That's right. And that 
I, I can't think, you know, just now, I can't think of anybody that on a national level, if you say who is HIV positive, that is the only person that would pop right. up. But there are no so, women, there are no young women, there are no older women, there are no 70-year-old women in, reti- in retirement homes or 20-year-olds in college. There's just no, like, none of the other people. We have one man. <laughs> Well, hopefully we'll take part in promoting this project since we're going to be starting to show three videos a month on our site. So this should be really great. And I hope that the project gets a lot of publicity from this and you get a lot more interviews. Um, I appreciate that. It's really exciting. We're thrilled you're going to be showing them. And the interviewees, of course, are, are thrilled as well. That's why they give them. That's why we collect them. So I'm thrilled that you find it a good fit and that you're going to show them. It's terrific. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Miles, for taking the time to talk to me and for this great project. My pleasure, Bonnie. Thank you. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebody.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us. This has been HIV Frontlines U.S. Edition from The Body. Be sure to check in frequently at thebody.com for the latest news and information on HIV. 